your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire. The the light in the darkness that is like 4.30 p.m. in Michigan these days. Yeah, you know, the good news is that with the first snow of the season, we had an excuse to get the Christmas tree up and not pay attention to a local NFL team, which I just like, I've, I've expressed this opinion before, but I don't know how these Lions fans do it, man. It has got to be just the worst. Uh, now, of course, not to, and this is very fresh, but... Your cheese boys, unfortunately, suffered a bit of a setback today as well. Um, turns out relying on the receiver with stone hand, with you know, frying pans for hands when they could have had any of the two dozen excellent receivers in this year's draft might end up costing them in the long run. But at least you, your team is going to make the playoffs and you know has a puncher's chance with Aaron Rodgers doing something once they're there. Well, I mean... Yeah, but only if the good players on their offense, namely Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones, stay healthy. Um, one of those goes down, and then they're you know they're suddenly forced to hope that they don't have to play Aldis Scantling or St. Brown or any of the other handsless receivers that continue to draw a paycheck. Um, I don't know. The Packers always need help whenever they go up against a team with a pulse this year. Uh, they got help against... Saints from, you know, huge brain Sean Payton putting in Taysom Hill instead of Drew Brees at the goal line. Uh, They got a lot of help from Indianapolis by the fact that for the first time in Jonathan Taylor's entire football career, officials decided to start calling holding against his offensive line, which... Five holds on their last drive. So that's honestly the the kind of thing that lends itself to this belief. People have that the Packers tend to get a lot of calls. I don't really... I've never noticed or cared one way or another, but this is a pretty, I mean, this is like something that people will take a snapshot of and file away as evidence. So yeah, but like they kept to Fox's credit, they did a very good job at showing. And I kept wondering why, why do the Colts keep getting seven yards of carry when the Packers are like clearly keying (laughs) in on the run. And then you show on the replay. Oh, because the interior linemen are getting bear hugged. By- yeah, because because part of Quentin Nelson's technique is you know putting you in the figure set or in the in the sharpshooter every snap. So, so the thing about the Lions is, and I almost I'm I'm half tempted to call into the radio show with this. I'm not a Lions <laughs> fan. I'm not from Michigan. All I really want is you know bare minimum. I want people to be excited to talk about football. I want to talk about football yeah. with people. I want to have people you know. We kind of excited, you know, it's frustrating to lose to the Lions, but it's also like, oh, you know, people get invested in the games and stuff. That's literally all I want. And the Lions are just, they drive me insane. Like, I'm not even, I'm only rooting for them to be decent enough or have something to offer people some hope. And even rooting for them to achieve that is driving me nuts. It's driving me absolutely crazy. (laughs) This team is unwatchable. The thing that always kills me when you're talking about sports radio in particular is if you drive around and listen to the one sports station here, you hear these guys call in and we're talking about the Lions and they're like, I've been a season ticket holder since 1964. I'm like, what is the matter with you? How how can you do, how can you do that? <laughs> like, 
<laughs> sunk cost fallacy. I guess, but then they're also continuing to pay for the privilege of of getting their nuts kicked every week. I don't know, man. Again, that's about that's about all I think we need to cover as far as deviating into the NFL goes. It's an NFL Sunday. We're recording a little bit earlier than we usually do. Um, so <laughs> that's that. But well, guess what? Ooh. I got me a win fight try Brewster of the week by Odd Side Ales. Once again, one of my very favorites in the state of Michigan. I don't know how far they distribute outside, but they've got a fixation with It's Always Sunny. This one is not related. This one is dipped, which is based on a chocolate dip pretzel. It's a really nice chocolate type stout with salt because... Oh man, Brandon Peters came and dipped his balls right in the mouths of the right in the very open, loud mouths of the Nebraska faithful who had been yelling for this season to get happened, and now they're very salty about it. So that's a nice flavor combination. So we had basically division title game week here in the conference. We'll get to those two games a bit later. But Going in roughly chronological order, we'll start. Yeah, let's start with with Purdue 37, Minnesota 34. Um, I'm here. We've heard accounts of alternate endings to this game. Like, I I don't know if this is people riffing off of just pretending that the election didn't turn the way it is. And it's like, all right, well, so I can apply that logic to things in my life and just like the reality in front of me is not what's going to happen. And, you know, we know of people claiming that this flag that happened at the end of the game was actually legitimate and there was a push off. And you can see it if you just zoom in on this account, on this angle here, there's no way it was a lone tight end running uncovered to the end zone, despite the fact that Minnesota's coverage was terrible all night. Yeah, because there there was clearly another defender on the grassy knoll that was just out of shot that you didn't see that he did push off of. But anyway, uh, yeah, so Purdue goes into Minneapolis and comes out with a win that was a lot more contested than I think either of us thought it would be. Minnesota gave him a real fight. And (laughs) so, all right, as atrocious as that call was, and look, in a lot of cases, people always want to say, well, you can't blame the refs. You can't blame the refs. And look, it's true. This is something that we expressed concerned about in the offseason, Purdue does employ Bob Diaco as their defensive coordinator. And that's not to say that their last DC was succeeding. They didn't have to find somebody. But what about Bob Diaco's track record exactly told Jeff Brom that he was going to succeed in this capacity? Because what we saw all night was, okay, Purdue does a good job on early downs. They get Minnesota in third and long. They send some kind of slow developing blitz, but Minnesota's got max protection. So they're running one or two man routes down the field. And the one thing Tanner Morgan's kind of good at is throwing the deep bomb, especially to Ottman Bell. Uh, I think he had either two or three catches of longer than 30 yards, but I may have been, I may have been confusing it for someone else, but Minnesota picked up repeatedly these third and long conversions, not just by getting past the sticks, but on like 30 and 40 yard passes because Purdue clears out their coverage and blitzes, but Minnesota's got more guys. They have like eight guys blocking. <laughs> so the blitz and doesn't look, get like, home. And they just kept doing it over and over. It didn't work. It never works. And Purdue, you know, clearly had a lot of opportunity to 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 make it such a convincing victory that there wasn't any room to, you know, to debate and, you know, try and put these alternate 
alternate, you know, just that there weren't any alternative facts that could have clouded the picture. But yeah, when you look at Bob Diaco, there's just one thing that's such a red flag to me. And that was, was he not the uh, defensive coordinator at Nebraska who suggested that his players were just not smart enough to pick up what he was laying down? Like the problem is not that I haven't coached this successfully. I'm a genius. What I'm doing is working and should work if the players were only good enough to actually do it. <laughs> the funny thing is, given the talent level that Mike Riley's Nebraska was at in some places, like he might not have been totally wrong about that, but you can't say that as the coach. Like you can't you can't be like these dummies over here. I mean, that's like that's the Roy Williams angle without having any title, without having any rings on your finger, you know? Um, like it, that's, that was an impossible thing for Roy Williams to get away with saying last year about North Carolina, because again, it's like, you, you're, you coach here, you're responsible. I don't know. I don't think he'd been there long enough that he really had that big of a hand in gathering that talent, but your job is to do is to figure out something that these players can do that will work. It, it, nobody in this game has such an infallible system that it, they can refuse to adapt to the talent they have. Those guys don't stick around for long. So if your players can't do what you're doing, then it's not a good system for you right now. doesn't matter. Like there is no abstract value to a defensive scheme or an offensive philosophy. It only matters if you have players that can do it. Precisely. I mean, you know, if you don't, then it exists only in theory. Right? It's not a thing that exists in the real world yet. So this was nevertheless, <laughs> yeah, this was nevertheless a really entertaining game with some absolute circus plays by receivers on both sides, very fine receivers on both sides. And in particular, there was a, there was a play that didn't count that uh, I thought was an incredible play by David Bell on an errant throw by, on a very rare errant throw by uh, Jack Plummer where he effectively defensive backed this, this, uh, this pass that certainly looked for all the world like an interception and he came down with it, but somehow they ruled that the Minnesota player had touched it while being out of bounds. So yeah, it was that, still a, that was, that was another controversial call that I actually think was correct. The one th- I'm assuming there was a wider angle shot than they showed on the replay. But no, it, it did appear to be the case that before Bell secured it, Minnesota's second player in the area, while being out of bounds, had touched the ball, which means like even if he doesn't secure it, by being out of bounds and touching it, it's a dead ball at that point. So it yeah, was, that was absolutely was true. But I'm just saying it was a very fun thing to watch as a neutral party yeah. that <laughs> and and the second absolutely monstrous officiating decision to wipe out an awesome play that we've had, you know, five weeks into the big 10 season, we've already had two, what would have been like the most memorable plays of the season, but that's like, Oh, actually subsection D. And it's like, it's like, come on, even as a lawyer, sometimes you gotta be like, all right, actually never mind the rule. And we're just going to let this awesome thing stand. And I propose that we create a mechanism by which once a game or, you know, shit, how about once a season, a coach who's on the defeated end of that kind of decision can throw like a different, like not a red flag, like a different, like an 
like an orange flag or like a mauve flag or something. He throws it, and that activates at the league office a spontaneous poll of 100 random unaffiliated fans. You you to participate in this, you would register with the Big Ten, declare your team affiliation, and yes, of course, I know that Nebraska bots would then overwhelm the system. I assume our tech people could find a way around that. But anyway, you register with the Big Ten and you are on standby during all Big Ten games. And if the coach uses their one shot, we'll say it once for the season, because again, this is something that you should really only use in case of emergency. 100 people will be polled. And if 95 of them say, oh, no, come on, fuck that shit. That's that's good. Then the place that then the rule is ignored, whatever the rule is, is the rule is ignored and the cool result happens the best thing would be though if that ended up being a thing where ohio state completely scored a legitimate game-winning touchdown <laughs> the opposing coach would absolutely throw that flag and everybody nope. and everybody nope. would just say oh come on no. invalid invalid <laughs> this this successful pin and pull got you you know eight yards from goal to go uh does not count nope off the board, <laughs> which, which, if anything, that makes me uh, that makes me support it more. Is it like, yeah. did, no, did you, you ever play more. Outburst? No, but that I was think one of those. That was one of those party trivia games where there yeah. were like there were a few cards with intentionally wrong or misleading answers because the whole <laughs> objective of the thing was to piss people off. Like it was generally pretty faithful, but but some of the cards had just very wrong answers or contextually different answers and. Um, <laughs> You know, and somehow the game, even though it said it straight out that that was the case, every time I played it, it always made a big pissing match happen where everybody got mad at each other instead of the game. <laughs> well, perfect. So now we even have a name for this concept. We we propose the creation of the outburst. Flag. And again, again, the, the biggest problem I see here is we keep the nebraska bots for bots or we can trust from their their passion and intensity for the game that we learned about soft season we can trust them to judge dispassionately and fairly so we'll move on now to the defects games of a couple of exceptions indiana 35 ohio state 42. i watched a very small yeah amount of this game because it initially ruled a full five or something like that and I'm with this for the day so I didn't watch a second of that game from that moment on I uh, was keeping the best shot that they're, they're going to have in the future, but to make that oh, happen. Okay. So I disagree with the first there because 
because I <laughs> I don't see anything in this team that suggests that this is a one-off or an uns. sustainable product that they're putting for the NFL draft after this year that the whole thing is going to No, I don't. I don't think individual players or even class of players that I I think Indiana is going to be in position, maybe even like a C plus, but Indiana had something to do with motivating that. It's not like they came out and were just fumbling the ball all over the place, committed 20 penalties or something like they were still their talented selves, but Indiana forced the issue and made this a close game. And I think in a sustainable way, that's not to say that Indiana is going to run the table from here or that they're going to be as good next year as they are this year. But I th- I thought that this result was about right, honestly, given the difference between the two teams that we saw. But Andrew, here's the, the thing: weekend. I totally agree with you on that. But Ohio State is going to continue improving at a faster rate than Indiana, even if Indiana's better next year, because Ohio State is flushing everything that's not blue chip talent out of their system. There's already like virtually nothing that isn't blue chip talent. I mean. If you were to look at their roster and look at their starters, I would venture a guess that probably, what, of the 22 guys who start, how many do you think are blue chips right now? I mean, we could figure this out, but just just eyeball it. I mean, how many do you think? I, I'd probably guess at least 20. Sure. And so even if there's a couple three stars that have slunk in now, what? You really think that the, there's going to be that big of a difference? With they've, they're already deeper than anyone in the conference, and their top shelf talents already better than everyone else in the conference. I get that they're recruiting better than everyone else, but I disagree that they're going to that basically their universe expands faster than we can catch up with the boundary of it. I don't think that's true. I think there's a limit to how much better they're going to get. They have they pr- probably haven't fielded their best team yet, but. Remember, like, think back to like their 2014 team here. Like, let's not pretend that they've merely been really good in the past. They've been, they've had some incredible teams, but they still have their ebbs and flows too. They still have their generational leader type players that leave as well, and it affects them. They're not this, again, I know that relative to where the rest of us are, and certainly where your team and my team are right now, it feels like they are so far beyond our reach, but. There's nothing about this game against Indiana that tells me that, oh, well, in two years, they're going to be 30 points better than Indiana again. I don't think that's true. Or, or Andrew, did they merely in this game take a form that we humans could comprehend? <laughs> I, man, <laughs> I, I guess we just disagree on this. I I don't think that Well, they're... apparently you're substantially less cynical about the 
about the stratification of talent in in the top college football teams than I am. And you know what? Good on you for that. This game gave me hope, though, because it tells me that the same thing. All right. So look, and this is the this is an analogy that I know people are going to get tired of me hearing. But this Indiana team is basically now where MSU was five, six, seven years ago. If you have a coherent scheme and a good coaching staff and the right combination of players, you can become more than the sum of your parts. And so the fact that there's a substantial edge in raw talent for Ohio State doesn't mean that they're invincible. Um, We've seen that in the past. It's still the case. We just saw, I mean, again, there was nothing fluky about this outcome, even with the turnover margin, because Penix had a couple of turnovers too. So I, I understand perfectly well. There's a handful of programs that are playing a different kind of game than the rest of us. That doesn't mean that if you do it right, you can't get on the field with them. It can still be done. The fact that your team isn't anywhere near it and my team isn't anywhere near it doesn't mean that we have to dismiss. I mean, this was a great game to watch. And that that's the takeaway that you get from it is a little depressing. I mean, there's there's already so many things beyond our control in this world. Indiana gave them a real fight, and there's nothing unsustainable or impossible to foresee in the future about that happening again. I'd probably feel different if I'd actually watched it, but... Yeah, another another thing you could go all the way back and say, hey, 1980 Illinois went in and threw for 620 yards against an Ohio State team that was just two years post Woody Hayes. And, you know, they, they didn't win, but they put him on notice and they would then win against them in a couple of years um, as they ascended to the top very, very briefly. So... You know, there's there's all sorts of historical precedent for this kind of thing, but it's got to be very bittersweet as an Indiana fan, right? And then, of course, here's always a weird thing that happens is when somebody comes at the king and misses, then they drop down in the AP rankings because, you know, you would have Indiana looked closer to Ohio State than a lot of people would have expected, but they fell further away from them in the polls, which I understand why it happens, but it's a little bit funny when you put it that way. I haven't seen, let me check really quick here. I haven't seen the new polls. Um, where is Indiana in here? Do you know, I'll leave your, well, know off the top of your head what, oh, well, I mean, they fell three spots. Like that's given that yeah. it, was, it was a loss at this stage of the season. That's not bad. I mean, you're not going to leave them at nine for a loss. You're not going to move them. This is, we're not in the SEC, okay? You can't move up. For a <laughs> so. You could You could very well argue that they could go up for that loss because that proved that they were, in fact, good enough to hang with a team that is uh, ranked that highly. Yeah, I think I, there's there were enough other top, top 10 games in the country that I wasn't paying attention to, so I, I couldn't tell you if that's warranted in this case, but... Look, the thing you got to remember about determining whether this is a good enough loss to move up in the rankings is how many SEC teams has Ohio State beaten this year? Uh, and it's zero. So that's not a good team. And losing to them can't be a good loss. Ain't played nobody. Hey, you know what top 10 game didn't happen? Florida State versus Clemson. <laughs> Dabo was mad. <laughs> well, what happened was, right, it, it, it was Trevor Lawrence, right, that they had – that, that couldn't clear the COVID protocol and then went and traveled with everybody and was just, you know, hanging out. And then they weren't, the dis- no yeah, they weren't <laughs> disclosing their results and they had already traveled to Tallahassee and then Florida state found out and they were like, wait a second, 
you can't just do this. Like, no, we're not. Typhoid Trevor with you, and you're going to expose our entire team to him because we don't know how many of your guys have it. So, no, it like, and of course, it like, what world are we living in where Florida State's athletic department are being the responsible adults in the room? But that's that's where we are. Um, Well, Florida State presumably saw what Wisconsin did to Illinois when they infected our starting quarterback, which they absolutely did. And then that cost us a game against Purdue. Decided, you know, we'd like to play the rest of our season as well. So uh, speaking of Illinois, we'll go ahead and get to that game and keep this moving along. Illinois 43 and DeBarcus or 41 and DeBarcus 23. And we saw here, as we kind of expected, an appearance from the vaunted black shirt defense. Uh, who gave up 28 points and 290 yards in the first half to an Illinois offense that's been playing musical quarterbacks all season. Well, I'll tell you what. A few things made me feel very good about this game early. First, Nebraska comes out in the black shirt uniforms. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's like, oh, we are dropping half a hundred on them. <laughs> yeah, well, because I, I, saw, I saw earlier on our Twitter that we were wearing orange pants, and I'm like, I'm remembering when I was in basketball band for an orange on red Illinois Wisconsin game and how much that made my eyes bleed. I was thinking like, what the hell is that? Then I remembered, Oh, Nebraska is all black. All right. We're probably going to win this game because every single time they invoke the black shirts, it's like the ghost of those teams comes back and say, how dare you? You have not earned the right to invoke our shit. Turns out you're not worthy. Like the, them wearing the black shirts right now is like the beginning of Aladdin when Jafar tricks the thief. He's like, "Yeah, no, go ahead, stick your foot in the cave of wonders. This will go well for you." And then after the cave eats him, the parrot's like, "Oh, that, I mean, AKA Gilbert Godfrey." I'm not gonna do a Godfrey voice, but um, you know, it, like that, that that's not a surprising outcome. Like the hubris to place yourself in that category kind of earned you this outcome before a single snap was played. And then the second thing that made me feel pretty good about this early was the uh, free touchdown. This <laughs> is the beginning of the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the, the first play of the game for Nebraska was Luke McCaffrey stepping up and then making a swing pass about one yard past the line of scrimmage that I guess on replay ended up being a, uh, a lateral? I don't know. I thought it was an illegal forward pass, not a lateral, but uh, Illinois was right there. Lovey Ball is about being prepared for random bullshit to happen in a game and to capitalize that, almost to the exclusion of everything else like sound zone defense principles and tackling. Yeah, it's what it, what it is to me is wearing a like a rain slicker and you know waterproof hat like the bright yellow outfit everywhere you go just on like living in san diego on the off chance that it rains and then one day you're wearing it and you come to the top of a hill and somebody has set up a giant slip and slide it's like oh oh cool so not that i planned for this or Deserved and it's by by virtue of um, Brandon Peters fumbling the ball forward five yards after already going down, and then the refs just decided they didn't want to be there, didn't <laughs> review it. So uh, the so the referees were. Uh, Why don't we just some full time guys?
to do this. This is ridiculous. Has not been the case. Um, so from the, the Nebraska perspective, they stick with Lufrey. I think, I don't remember if he got the start last week or not, but still a relatively new quarterback. But the again, the problem here is the same problem Nebraska's had for years now from the quarterback position. They just can't take care of the ball. First half turnovers, uh, you know, the team had five through the entire game. Line is just horribly inefficient. Um, the other thing that I didn't understand about Nebraska's game plan in the first half is they only got three touches for Wandale Robinson. Meanwhile, Luke McKenna, don't you want to put the ball in the hands of the guy who's with it, which for Nebraska, is Wandale by and I was just gashing us by handing off the ball and kept not doing it. To do to really do there was one and McCaffrey under no pressure just sailed it 20 yards out Out of bounds. Bill Robinson is just streaking down the sideline completely open. I think that was like the first play I saw when I was staring down his tight end, staring down his tight end. Or in position to win until the end of the game because they played good defense. Um, I poo-pooed the prospect of Brandon Peters starting this game, and I ate some delicious crow. He took the first snap of the game and ran with the ball. So then Nebraska figured that they had to account for him, and this allowed Illinois to finally get back to running the ball successfully. They had 200-yard rushers in this game, in Mike Epstein and Chase Brown. And Brandon but, Peters know, went 18 for 25. Coming into this game, though, given what you just saw from Isaiah Williams running this basically read option based offense, it, it was absolutely justified to think that it was crazy to go back to Brandon Peters because the last time we saw him was what the Wisconsin game? Has, has he had he? Yeah, played? that was the no, because well, because Wisconsin gave him COVID. Right. And <laughs> so after what we saw from him in that game, and granted, Wisconsin's a vastly better defense. But given, you know. But it turns out, due to other events that we've now learned about, not actually that good of a team. Oh, yeah, well, right. <laughs> Although, yeah, we're going to talk about that in a bit, and I think we're going to dis- disagree on that proposition to an extent uh, because you so dramatically undervalue and dislike Northwestern that you assume if they beat somebody, that team can't be good. But we'll get to that in a little bit. I mean, the, the last point that we'd be remiss to not point out in the Illinois-Nebraska game is that Blake Hayes executed the most glorious 
I, I guess you kind of have to call it a fake punt. It definitely, I don't, I don't think it was called. Like, there's no way it was called. There is, no, there is no way that Lovey Smith meant for this to happen. This is the <laughs> most unlovey thing that has ever occurred. But if you've noticed, watching Blake Hayes punt, he does this sometimes. He just, he takes a few steps, he looks, he waits, and then he kicks it away. I mean, you know, it's almost like he's been setting up for, you know, for the possibility. It's almost like every single time he gets the snap, he looks to see if maybe he can't take the first down. And again, until something like this happened, I just always thought of it as a little bit of a quirk. But now I'm thinking like, wait, galaxy brain. He's put this on tape so nobody is worrying about him. I, I kind of read it being the obvious way, which is he's waiting for his opportunity. And Nebraska on this particular punt return basically sent one guy to rush the punter and he did kind of a half-hearted job. And so Hayes does the kind of stutter step that you talked about. And then he sees this and he's like, oh, well, nobody else is looking at me. I'm just going to go. And he he runs. Um, what's like the- me running away from my dog with a football. So what's an antonym for fast? Um, it's like slow isn't exactly the right, but like it, it was, it probably took him a good six or seven, maybe eight seconds of game clock to, he pit, so it was fourth and eight. I just looked at a replay of this before we started. It was fourth and eight. He picked it up and got like about five or six more yards beyond that. So to get, and he was, he did it on a, an oblique angle. So from the hash of the ball was snapped from, he ran out on the far sideline. He goes most of the way across the field as well. But to get 14 yards of, of positive yardage and then also across, you know, two-thirds, three-quarters of the field had to have taken him seven or eight seconds. And the best part was, again, there's only one rusher kind of in the area, but one of his up men blocks the guy thoroughly. So he runs away from that. Like that's his first little like, oh, I got to read this block and get around him. Okay, so he's out of the picture. And then he's looking further upfield. And again, still at this point, the two nearest Nebraska guys are like 20 yards away from him. But he kind of does like he, he like tries to juke him from that far. Yeah, away. he hit he hits the juke move. He just hit the juke button on accident. It was great. He hit he hit that stutter step side cut against nobody. It was glorious. But hey, yeah. guess what? Blake Hayes, fourteen yards per carry. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just it's reminiscent of when Mike Sadler's yards per carry was like over ten or something on a not on a number greater than one too. Uh, Anyway, okay, so you wanted to talk about it. Let's go ahead and get to the de facto Big Ten West title game where the final result, Northwestern 17, Wisconsin 7. And I told you, I told anyone who would listen, we haven't seen this Wisconsin offense deal with a team that can stop the run. And as good as Graham Mertz has looked, he hasn't had... He was playing Illinois and Michigan. He hasn't been in a game situation yet where the game is on his shoulders. And it showed a little bit. And then also, Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor are both out. Not helpful. So if you notice a theme here, the losing quarterback in this game turned it over four times by himself. And his team also lost another fumble. And Northwestern only had one turnover. That's the difference here. Northwestern's offense did not do much of anything all day. But when you have a five to one turnover ratio in your favor, things are going to work out for you for the most part here. So when it, I think Wisconsin 
whether this is, I mean, Paul Chris technically is not supposed to be the play caller anymore, but I assume he still has input on the game day strategy. And their overall rushing numbers might make you think that they were justified in putting the game on Mertz's shoulders. But the reason that their overall rushing numbers struggled as much as they did is because they went away from the guy who was getting yards. Jalen Berger sat the entire fourth quarter. At least if he played, he didn't get a carry or a catch. They went to Nikia Watson, who had three and about three and a half yards per carry, and Garrett Groshek, who had about a, a yard and a half per carry. That's That was their game plan when they were trailing by multiple scores for most of the second half. Um, so wait a minute. Are you saying, I think I know what's happened. Congratulations, Wisconsin. You're Iowa now. I guess, man, I don't know what it is this season about coaches be if it's like when you, you've got multiple guys that you're trying to keep happy or something, or you've got the plan and the plan is the plan and it can't be deviated from. And no matter the circumstances, we, you know, we alternate drives, we give player X this many carries, and then he has to sit and player Y gets the next couple series. Like, Berger had almost 100 yards on 15 carries. He's not lighting the world on fire, but doing vastly better than anybody else. And he's the most talented running back in that group by a wide margin. Now, I get that they there are uses for the other guys. Watson's definitely a more powerful back going straight ahead. Groshek's a pretty good receiver. But it felt like they went away from their best offensive weapon too early because again, make no mistake with the passing game, all but neutered Mertz having a lot of problems. Um, Northwestern's kind of typically handsy coverage got, had, you know, got away with it a little more in this game than they often do because the guys Wisconsin was putting out there. were not getting separation. So I don't know why they go away from burger so quickly. I think that probably it, it, if it didn't cost them the game, it at least cost them making it close at the very end because this is the kind of game that we, we say it so often. This is the way Pat Fitzgerald wants to play. He's very comfortable in this type of score range. Very comfortable putting his defense on the spot with a one or two possession lead. And they come up they come up the winner more often than not in this. So now Northwestern oh. moves to 5-0. and oh. They're the presumptive West Division champions. Having already beaten um, Iowa. Having already, Let me see their schedule here. I don't remember who else they played. Um, yeah, I already beat Iowa. I already beat Purdue. Their schedule the rest of the way is Michigan State, Minnesota, Illinois. Uh, they could easily be 8-0 at the end of the season now. Well, yeah, the only question is, does can Minnesota um, get enough help to beat them? Because Illinois is not going to beat them unless they fire Lovey Smith. There's just I, no chance. I, would, I wouldn't look at Michigan State. There's... You know, we'll get into that a little bit more in the preview, but there's no way, given the way Wisconsin's offense struggled, that Michigan State is getting more than 100 total yards unless Northwestern has a couple guys hurt or sick that we don't know about. So, yeah, unfortunately, although the Iowa Northwestern score was pretty normal, the Michigan State Iowa score kind of blows the triangle of stupid theory. Well, I mean, is it though? Because. <laughs> I you know Northwestern beat Iowa. Uh, yeah, Iowa, actually, Iowa beat Michigan State. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Michigan State over Northwestern. Book it. So yeah, at the I, end of the day, I, what I've learned I, between I, yesterday, what I've learned between yesterday and right now, is that sometimes 
a team from Wisconsin with a quarterback who's for some reason being hailed as an MVP, even though he hasn't really shown it that much this season, uh, sometimes loses to a team that by all by, by all accounts just looks really shitty and you don't understand how they got it done outside of the fact that they got this quarterback from somewhere else because the team from Wisconsin just can't stop turning the ball over in really stupid fucking ways. Funny how things always come. How, how time it's like poetry so that they rhyme, to quote George Lucas. <laughs> exactly. All right, let's move on to games that matter less. Um, Iowa 41, Penn State 21. And not to beat the same drum here too much, but we're going to go back to the only stat that seems to matter, the turnover column. Iowa, okay, one lost fumble. That's not too bad. You know, you don't want to be in – you don't want to lose more fumbles in your car, but that's fine. Uh, let's go and look over at Penn State. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So there's the whole story. They're still playing quarterback roulette in Happy Valley. And, look, it's pretty obvious by now. Sean Clifford is the more explosive quarterback by a pretty wide margin, but in both good and bad ways. Will Levis was a little bit better in taking care of the ball. He had turnovers as well, but he's also not going to make big plays for either team. I guess there can be a little bit of value there, but the other thing that I have not understood about Penn state's game plan all season is the degree to which they are relying on running the ball with quarterbacks who are not dynamic running threats, even adjusting for, they just not adjust for not having trace McSorley anymore. I I don't know. I don't know if they think that these guys are as good a runners as McSorley because like, McSorley really wasn't straight line fast, but he was he was he had pretty good vision for a quarterback and he knew what lanes to take when like a, like a diet JT Barrett kind of where yes, Barrett wasn't uh, an exceptional like like an elite athlete, but he was very good at seeing where to run and and being able to get positive yardage all the time. But the way they're, and again, maybe part of this is just the quarterbacks making the reads and opting to call their own number. And if that's the case, you got to talk to these guys because even removing the sacks from it, these two quarterbacks combined for 16 carries between them. They're running backs. And look, even without Journey Brown and Noah Kane, they've still got talented running backs, but they gave their tailbacks 13 carries in this game. Look, neither Clifford nor Levis is Denard Robinson or Braxton Miller or even Trace McSorley. They just aren't that type of athlete, but they're the volume of carries they're taking in this game plan seems to indicate that that's what they think they've got on their hands. And it's just, it's difficult to understand. Now, again, in this game, that's not to say that the running backs were tearing it up. I mean, Kaziah Holmes, six carries for eight yards. Kevon Lee, four for six. Devin Ford, three carries for two yards. But the, obviously the other downside to this is, look, Penn State ran a total of 51 plays in this game. This is a very Iowa game. They were just so much more – the Hawkeyes were so much more efficient on offense that the fact that both teams only got seven or eight possessions didn't matter to them because they were scoring on pretty much every single one. Uh, but, yeah, man, when you're going to play – if you're going to play in a, in a game that's low possession like the ones Iowa will force you into – you can't turn the ball over. You, you just can't. And, man, I don't know what has gone wrong with Penn State. Oh, other good news for the Nittany Lions is that we found out earlier today Pat Frymuth is now out for the season. Um, unspecified injury requiring unspecified surgery. You can be suspicious about that if you want. I know <laughs> Penn State is the team that we're always talking about when we bring up the, well, aren't guys going to sit out pretty soon? 
but it sounds like he's, he's uh, uh, it sounds like he's hurt. I, so. Yeah, I don't know. He might be having surgery to remove his stuff from his locker, but um, <laughs> right. give me a, lock, a lockerectomy. Well, um, what's funny also, is right now, right now, if I'm not mistaken, our analysis has shown that if we were to skip to championship week right now, Illinois would play Penn State in the six six game. So it's quarterback <laughs> run the ball more versus quarterback stop running the ball. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, again, it's funny how those things work out. Oh, also, if you haven't checked out the highlight film from this game, we recommend you do, if only because you're going to see the most glorious fat guy. Was it a fumble or an interception return? I don't remember which. Let me take a look here. Uh, but it was, it was an interception return. Yes, 71 yards by Davion Nixon, who's got to be 330. Um and he even had, he even has a very nice kind of little like swim move around. Maybe that's not the best word for it, but he's getting chased down, obviously, because you know, being three thirty, he's not running away from many people. But I believe it was the quarterback who he he basically juked out of his shoes and you know sidestepped as he went past. And then as the as the return continues, there are a couple other Penn State guys, and I don't remember who. I didn't think to check definitely could have caught him but they just did it they're like no nah, i don't want none of that like what if he lands on me when i tackle him so they just let him go they just let him run it back 71 yards so like he's the biggest probably slowest guy on the field and you let him run a pick back 71 yards like that's that's the kind of thing that really makes you think is penn state in danger of just collapsing altogether um in danger they're zero and five I mean, like, to in a, in a way that you see it. Like, obviously, the results on the You mean field in a way that has ramifications beyond this year? Uh, maybe. I, I don't necessarily mean that, but I... I don't think so, if that's the question. No, I don't think that's... That's not really what I'm getting at. What I'm saying is... Okay. Do you... Because, like, aside from that... Again, I, I did not watch large portions of this game, but I caught enough of it that I didn't see many obvious signs of Penn state players just not giving an effort other than that interception return. And maybe at that point they're just kind of, you know, laughing. So you don't cry. Right. But um, I just wonder if we get to a point and we've speculated where the guys might just officially sit out and say, no, I'm done. But even if they don't do that, our guys going to start making more business decisions. That's the, that's the term that's always referred to by like NFL commentary and so forth. Might they make business decisions a little more often? I guess now we'll look, see. we've been teasing the audience enough, but we're going to tease them a little bit more by bringing up a couple more things. One, my my only really big gripe about Illinois' performance was that the official Illinois Athletics account tweeted after the game, good game, Nebraska. Thanks for bringing back Big Ten football. <laughs> and then deleted it. Yeah. <laughs> Come I'm on. Sure. Think sure about that. how much abuse that – social media person has gotten over the years from Illini fans on that official account posting, you know, posting the result pump up of graphics of terrible results. And, and now finally, finally they get one that's just like Ow, served right up to them, just <laughs> grooved right in there for them to just dog it out of out to left field. And, <laughs> and I guess somewhere they got a directive to shelve it. And of course, your yeah, team. And, and- 
and to carry on with your analogy, they get yelled at for doing a bat flip. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, basically. Oh yeah. Um, so then, and then and your I, team, my team, uh, thankfully, did not play. So Maryland's issue with COVID continues. They canceled the game. Uh, that's fine. I look the only the only reason. I'm even vaguely curious in seeing MSU play any of its remaining games is I want to see if they can find a quarterback or not. We've pretty clearly established by now that it's not Rocky Lombardi. It might be Peyton Thorne. I'd like to see. So Northwestern's going to be good for that. The problem is of the three games they have left, two of them are against the two best defenses in the conference. Well, I guess, I guess it depends on how you view Wisconsin relative to Ohio state, but they get Northwestern next week and then Ohio state so even if Peyton Thorne's any good, we might not know because he's his the offense he plays for is going to be completely overmatched the next two weeks. That's the only reason I would there even were, play. But all right, there were eighteen very- games. There were eighteen games canceled or postponed this week, and there's no signs that it's going to get any better. Um, no, now, of course not. The, the, the only thing I know for sure that. is that Ohio State will not have more than one more game canceled. Um, it's just not going to happen. The, the Big Ten will absolutely drag a sick team out of quarantine to play them. If it means getting them into the playoffs, because that's why we're here. That's why we're doing all this. And the other thing is, I'm pretty sure they're not going to cancel Ohio State, Michigan. So, you know, like you, you guys got to play them next week. And then why don't we cancel the game after that? And then they can get out there and beat the tar out of Michigan to get to the number of games they have to to go to the that makes perfect sense to me. Let's do it that. Okay. Sounds well, like our guys play. have cleared the COVID protocol after Wisconsin infected them and caused them to lose a game. Um which uh not 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 gonna stop being mad about that because they definitely knew that they were gonna have a problem and they gave our starting quarterback of a, a disease that we're all trying to protect against. So um you know I, I'm actually pretty glad that Wisconsin lost because fuck them. And given who they lost to, that takes some doing for you. Yeah. We've buried the lead long enough. We've beat around the bush long enough. It's time, a primetime matchup of the week here in the Big Ten. Name of the centuries. Oh, quite possibly. I mean, the century's got a long ways to go yet. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Quite possibly the game of the century, though. Shades of Notre Dame-Michigan State back in the 60s. So, Michigan 48. Rutgers 42 in three overtimes. Look, finally, a primetime matchup against a suitable opponent for 2020 Michigan. Uh, my God, where even to begin? So how about the fact, as far as Michigan is concerned, that you now have a couple games worth of evidence that actually Cade McNamara is a vastly better quarterback than Joe Milton. Like Milton might be a better athlete. He might be able to throw the ball harder, maybe throw it farther. Maybe he's tougher to bring down in the run game. McNamara is a better quarterback by a mile. And it's not like, it's not close. And he, he commands the belief of the rest of the offense. Like from the moment he came into the game, the entire tenor of the Michigan effort changed. And that Harbaugh in year six, having recruited all these players, couldn't see that before he had to do it in a second game. He put this kid in with a 17-point deficit and an offense that had been stuck in the mud the entire game and said, basically just said, go out there and run out the clock. And instead, McNamara leads them on this comeback. So 
again, if you're a Michigan fan, I don't know how you take this game. I mean, I guess this means that you can't fire Harbaugh on the spot, but they're still down 17 nothing to Rutgers. And keep in mind, last year, Michigan won this game 52 to nothing. And as much as credit as we give Shiano for bringing in all these transfers, a lot of those same guys are still on Rutgers' team. A lot of those same guys still play for Michigan. Well, you know, the thing about the Joe Milton thing is that, yeah, there was supposedly an open quarterback competition. But, boy, suddenly suddenly doesn't uh, Dylan McCaffrey's decision to just say, fuck this, I don't feel like this is being handled right. And that suddenly seemed like it makes a lot more sense. There's going to be yet another highly touted quarterback prospect that Jim Harbaugh just did not a goddamn thing with. Um, And, you know, it's going to be like, feel like he's going to give up on Joe Milton now. And then Joe Milton's going to like transfer to Indiana and then beat Ohio State. (laughs) Okay, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. That would be a fantastic outcome for Milton's career. But sure. So, I mean, he's not out of the Michigan woods yet, is he? No. Brandon Peters' team has the same record as Michigan's, and they actually beat Rutgers in regulation <laughs> without him. Uh, boy. Okay, so the Rutgers side of this. So I'm, without necessarily perusing the Rutgers message boards too deeply, I would suspect that they are, for the most part, still very happy with Greg Schiano's performance and very confident in the direction he's taking this team. And really, in a lot of ways, they should be. Because again, as as we said, this is a forty six point margin improvement from last year's game against Michigan. Like this, this is much better. This is what you want to see from your team, even if they don't necessarily, if they're not in a position to break through and win many games just yet. The fact that they're making most of their opponents work for it and they look like they belong on the same field, like that's all you can ask for for year one from Shiano. But, but, but. You and I, and really any neutral party that watched this game all the way to the end, should not forgive or forget the extent to which NFL brain has infiltrated Shiano's tactics because it cost, they could have won this game. They should have won this game. In the first overtime, Michigan missed a field goal on their possession. They had the ball first. So that means Rutgers knows all they need to do is score any points, field goal, touchdown, anything of any kind to win. What do they do with their offensive plays, Steve? What did they do? Oh, man, it was really, really late. I assume nothing (laughs) good. And you were really, really drunk. So, okay, let me continue this thread. They ran two inside run plays straight into the pile for functionally no gain. Oh, right. They tried to set up the field goal. They they conceded the touchdown. No, what do you know? I'm talking about Rutgers' first possession. So... They run the first two offensive plays. It's third and 10. They haven't budged. But because of where you start in overtime, they're already in the range for pretty much all college kickers. It's a 41, 42, 43-yard kick. What do they do with their third down play? Do they try to get a few yards, make it a little bit closer? No. They do the NFL thing. They have their quarterback run to the left, center the ball, and down it there giving up a couple of yards to do so. Valentino Ambrosio comes out to kick the game-winning field goal. Keep in mind, they started on the right hash. They have now spent their third down play to move to this, basically to right in the middle of the field and back up a little bit. Two yards back, yeah. What happens on the field goal, Steve? He misses a field goal that he would have made from the original spot. 
in two dimensions, by the way. So he misses the ball, bends left right at the last second when he kicks it. If he had stayed on the right hash, it would have gone right down the middle. If he had not lost the two yards going backwards to center it, it's entirely possible it would have snuck through the upright before it bent left. And the funniest thing about this is that Jim Harbaugh had just done the exact same thing on their (laughs) possession. He'd done the exact same thing. He centered the ball on third down, and then Nordine missed it to the left. Yeah, and and speaking of, look, I understand that he's a collegiate player, but Quinn Nordine merits a quick comment here. We're halfway through year six of the Jim Harbaugh era, and once you're that far in, it feels like it's fair to kind of say, well, what's been the most, who's been the most memorable player of his tenure so far? Their future- who's been the player that most embodies what yes. Jim Harbaugh's tenure at Michigan is all about? Yeah, maybe, maybe memorable isn't the right word. I think the way you put it is better. So we have some candidates here. I mean, what about Shea Patterson, you know, former five-star All-American top 10 overall quarterback recruit? Hot shot transfer, no less. That's been kind of a trend for him, picking up the transfer quarterbacks. And then he kind of didn't turn out that great the way most of his transfer quarterbacks didn't. That's a candidate. All right, that's one. Uh, what about Rayshon Gary? This is a, a the biggest recruit he brought in himself. Number two recruit in the country. And then he was pretty good in college, but he didn't really get a whole lot in the way of counting stats. And then, oh, well, so, okay. This is where... The fans of the program are going to condescendingly explain to you, look, he's an anchor. Uh, His job is just to take on double teams and not actually make any plays himself. So maybe if you understood that, you know, Rayshon Gary's role in this defense would make more sense to you. So that's another candidate. But no. Brandon Peters is a pretty pretty good answer because that was another very highly touted guy that then when he came in to replace uh, whoever, was it it, O'Corn that he replaced? And it was, it was like injury, yes. Yeah. So, so then that was okay. So Harbaugh's now gone to his young prospect that he brought in here, and maybe this is the quarterback of the future. And then he has a bad bowl game, and then essentially gets run out, where he then leads Illinois to a bowl game for the first time in five years, and has better success somewhere else. Or you could argue that Jabril Peppers is the player because uh, you know it's hard because he was pretty good but harbaugh inherited him <laughs> a lot of yeah full of sound and fury signifying nothing yeah but no the real answer here is quinn nordine for some reasons in his control and some reasons out of it when he was a recruit he was one of the better kicker recruits in the country he made his initial commitment not to michigan but to penn state well like skydiving if i remember right or jumping out of a plane like he announces he's going to penn state and then jumps out of a plane um a guy fair to say that is comfortable drawing attention to himself. And then he flips to Michigan after the infamous sleepover with Harbaugh, which really called attention on a national scale to how weird Jim Harbaugh is as a person. And then Nordine gets to Michigan as an underclassman. He looks fantastic. I mean, his, his, he's good out to 55 yards. I think he only missed a couple of kicks his freshman year. And then later in his career, I distinctly remember we played college fantasy football. I distinctly remember Quinn Nordine being a kicker that you had to pick every week because yeah. he was automatic. And also Harbaugh likes to kick field goals. Yeah, And he, so he was good. He, you could count on a 50 yarder from him more weeks than not. But then as time goes by, he not only does he not get better, he regresses to the point where <clears throat> they have a little bit of a competition. They're splitting kicking duties 
Another lesser talented player, Jake Moody, gets none of the same accolades or attention, but does the job better. But still, the staff refuses to just give the job to him. They continue to want to make the big name, the big impact, the brand into the guy who has a job. So now here we are and shoot. This is where I meant to have the stat all queued up because I wanted to look at what he's actually done this year. He's missed a Again, num- he's missed a number of field goals already this Quinn year. Quinn Nordine is a, is a is a relic from the yeah, we're we're going to Rome, we're going to hang out with the pope, we're we're going to all your camps and we're we we you know, we're going into your backyard, and we're going to take your players and then say fuck you, you should have protected them more. You can't do a goddamn thing about it. Who's got it better than us? Like Illinois and Iowa and Purdue and quite a few teams actually. A number. All right. I'm not going to bother with the statistics, but rest assured that they've had field goal issues this year. And there's not been the slightest indication that they're going to go back to Jake Moody, even though he's got the track record. And the guy who's doing it, who is out there right now, isn't producing. Like, there's, it's the same thing. Like, if quarterback wasn't such a highly scrutinized position, it's fair to say Joe Milton might well still be out there completing half of his passes for minimal touchdowns, the occasional interception, and just kind of going through the motions because he's the name, he's the brand. Um, they made so the we've team. talked about we've talked about the offense. We've talked about the special teams. The defense damn near gave up 500 yards to Rutgers. To Noah Vedral, who I think set a personal passing yard record by like 100 yards or something in a game. And that may not be too surprising for a guy who hasn't got a, the longest history of starting. But this was, and this is our situation where it's not like Rutgers' offensive line is moving Michigan off the ball or something, or their receivers are consistently winning one on ones. No, it's mostly example after example of Rutgers taking advantage of schematic errors by Michigan, of using Michigan's man coverage to test their vulnerable corners the same way everybody Michigan's played has done, and also of doing another thing that has a multi year vulnerability of Michigan's, which is using their aggression and their tendency to over-pursue against them. And I believe it was the second overtime, Rutgers scored a beautiful touchdown on a throwback screen to the tight end going the other way, I believe just by showing basically stretch action to the other side of the field. Like eight guys on Michigan's defense chase the ball, and then Vedral just stops, turns around, and flips the ball over to a wide-open tight end with two offensive linemen in front of him looking for somebody to block. It's like the same play that Michigan State ran against them like five years ago because their defense hasn't changed since then. <laughs> and it's, just, it's all the same stuff. And I don't know. It's incredible. Man. You look at you look at this stat line. Noah Vedral, 29 for 43, three touchdowns and a pick. I mean, Noah Vedral was that, yeah. worlds better than Joe Milton. That think about that. The last play of the game. That's a fourth down desperation heave that was an interception. But otherwise, he played a – Completely clean game. Former Nebraska walk-on Noah Vedral transferred to Rutgers and absolutely played the, outplayed the shit out of Joe Milton. Think about that coming into this year. Yeah, and I just, like, I don't know. We're talking about this topic ad nauseum because I, you don't see many people vocally defending this program anymore and the weird thing is we're we we're heaping all this criticism on the team that won but again remember last year this was 56 nothing and the only reason they didn't lose or i'm sorry 52 nothing let me not let me not give them more credit than necessary but 
The only reason this wasn't a loss was because Greg Schiano let shield ball tactics infiltrate what otherwise, if you just go for it, there's a perfectly good chance that they would have scored a touchdown. I don't mean go for it on fourth down. I mean, actually play offense instead of just setting yeah, up. They, the yeah, they basically spent the entire possession setting up the field goal. Yeah, which, it, I don't know. I get Again, I get that coaches do not want to have to answer for an, a mis, for a decision that loses the game, but the fact that it leads so many of them to employ tactics that do not win them the game, I just don't get it, man. I I would think it would be a much easier thing to explain Say you know, say on that overtime possession that Rutgers had opted to throw the ball on first down, and it's like a tip ball interception or something, and they lose the game because of that. Like it gets run back or something. I think it's a much easier thing for a coach, especially coaching Shiano's position, where you've got an obvious rebuild, to explain. Look, I want my team to know that I have the confidence in them to play aggressive. You know what? The easiest way to put this. What would Tom Allen have done in that situation? Yep, that's re- that's really where I am. And I'm thinking about what is a good what is a good decision for a coach to make that's going to inspire his team, whether it works or not. I don't. That's almost beside the point. If you make the decision that gets the best out of your players, that I think is what the job of a coach is. Hashtag WWTAD. Source for Big Ten Talk, it's off tackle, Empire!